morning, everybody. The reading this morning is taken from Matthew, and we'll be reading the last seven verses of chapter 9, that's chapters, uh, verses 27 to 34, and we'll finish with the first verse of chapter 10. And in reading this, I'm reminded of the words that Pastor Steve just gave us, that when we read the Bible, it's not just a prologue to the sermon that follows, but it's building the body of Jesus of Christ in us. And I'm also reminded of the song we've just sang, which said there's no life long enough, no seas deep enough, etc., to talk about all he's done. And these verses tell us a few of the things, just a few of the many, many things that Jesus has done. So Matthew 9, 27, going through to chapter 10, verse 1. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out anyway and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen before in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Here ends this lesson. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you here at the branch. Um, it's great to be with you on this uh, Pentecost Sunday and also this Sunday when you uh, celebrate Lord's Supper together. And uh, Steve, the way you uh, explained and described those things uh, to us this morning was a real blessing. Thank you. Uh, now, if you, were, uh, if you were here last Sunday, then... You will have heard my co-pastor uh, Reuben preach from a series that we uh, went through recently at Riverbank called uh, Gentle and Lowly. And uh, this series, it drew inspiration from, uh, from this book of the same name by Dane Ortland. Uh, and the point of the book and also the point of our series 
was to look not so much at what Jesus has done, but at who Jesus really is. And hence the subtitle of the book, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And so my, my message today, which I've titled The Compassionate Heart of Jesus, is also from that series. So uh, let's now uh, come to the Lord and ask for his blessing as we consider his word together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. It truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, without it, we would be completely and totally lost. So Lord, please bless us this morning as we consider your message to us. Please help us to learn not just of what you have done, but of who you truly are. May we actually experience for ourselves your deep heart of compassion. And Father, as a result, may we grow in our love and our commitment toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'd like to begin by uh, reading five short passages with you from Matthew's Gospel. And as I read these passages, I'd like you to think about what kind of picture they paint of our Lord Jesus. First of all, uh, from Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. From Matthew 13, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will, be th they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. From Matthew chapter 18, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. From Matthew chapter 21, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And finally, from Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? So what do you think? These, uh, these verses are quite different to the, uh, to the passage that we read a little earlier, aren't they? And they're quite different to this theme that, that I've just described of Jesus being gentle and lowly. For these verses speak of a Jesus who is filled with anger, judgment and condemnation. His anger, of course, is not sinful but righteous, but it is anger nonetheless. And so you're probably sitting there wondering, why would we start out reading verses like these? Surely today is about his compassion. So why start here? Well, two reasons. 
One is because we need to have a balanced picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we only ever focused on his gentleness, sympathy and love, then we may think that he is actually weak, helpless and cowardly. We may think that he does not in fact care about wickedness and injustice. But these verses remind us that he most certainly does. Evil infuriates him and none more so than the evil of those who lead other people into sin, those who keep other people away from God. And he tells us that he will deal with them in no uncertain terms. But I want to ask you this morning, would you really want it any other way? Don't we long for Jesus to to deal with those priests who rape children and those dictators who murder their own people? And those scammers who prey upon the elderly. And those terrorists who cause death and destruction to many. And those cult leaders who brainwash their followers. Don't we long for Jesus to bring about justice? But the second reason to consider his righteous anger is because it serves to highlight for us the absolute wonder of his grace. For you see, as soon as we say that Jesus is infuriated with sin, we very quickly realise that he also has every reason to be infuriated with us. For are we any better? Have we lived a pure and righteous life, always loving God with all our hearts and our neighbour as ourselves? Of course not. But yet... We need to understand that these verses that I've just read are not speaking of Jesus' anger towards sinners in general, but towards sinners who don't care. He's talking to the proud and the self-righteous who justify their own actions and are unrepentant before God. He's talking to those who reject his love and the salvation that he offers He's talking to those who live in ongoing willful disobedience, thinking that it really is no big deal, and encouraging others to join them in their wicked ways. They are the ones to whom Jesus directs his anger. But my friend, we need to understand this morning that that is not his attitude toward those who come to him in humility. For if we have recognised our own failings, then if we have sought forgiveness for our rebellion and if we have trusted entirely in Jesus to save us, then we have absolutely nothing to fear because he gave his own life on the cross to wash our guilt away. And as he did so, all of his anger toward us evaporated once and for all. And so even though we may well be rightly deserving of his wrath, he instead showers us with his kindness. And so for us, his his capacity for righteous anger only serves to highlight the wonder of his gracious sympathy and love. For my friends, we need to realise that the heart of our Lord Jesus towards sinners and sufferers like us toward all who come to him in repentance and in faith, is overwhelmingly a heart of compassion. And my friends, it's his compassion 
that we want to explore together today. And so the first thing that, uh, that we need to realise is that, is that this word that is uh, translated as compassion is a word that is only ever used in the New Testament to describe Jesus, either literally or via a parable. It's never used of anyone else anywhere. And so it's a very special quality that's very closely tied to his unique identity. Also, the, the word itself is very closely related to our inward parts. It refers to your intestines, to your bowels, to your guts. And so we're talking here about a deeply moving emotion, a gut-wrenching feeling that stirs up deep inside. But we also need to realise that it's an emotion that drives a person into action. It compels you to do something. You cannot help but respond to the thing which has moved you so deeply. And so what we're talking about is a feeling of intense pity, heartfelt sympathy, overwhelming concern and motivating kindness. And thus we find the very best English translation in what I think is a beautiful word, the word compassion. So we see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just heard about the sadistic beheading of John the Baptist. And we're told in Matthew 14 that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. You can imagine, can't you, him, him wanting some time alone to process this horrible event, to grieve and to pray. But the crowds got wind of it and they followed him on foot. But verse 14 says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus was not disappointed. He was not annoyed. He was not angry. They were needy and they were looking for him because they knew that he could help them. And when he saw them, he was, he was filled with compassion. And that compassion moved him to care for them, one by one, reversing the effects of sin in their lives. In Matthew chapter 15, we find Jesus among the crowds once again, caring for their needs. And in verse 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And the following verses describe that miraculous feeding of the 4,000. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember the one who was owed a, a small amount by a fellow servant, but who himself owed an enormous debt to the king. And in verse 27, it says, the servant's master, that is the king who in the parable represents Jesus himself, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. And those words, took pity on him, that's our word, translated differently this time, but that's our word, compassion. 
And then there's Matthew chapter 20, where there were, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, we're told, calling out to Jesus. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Clearly, there was no sympathy from the crowds. But verse 34 says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. And finally, in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we have that amazingly touching story of Jesus meeting a widow who had lost her only son. And in verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he raised her son to life. And it's those words this time, his heart went out to her. That's our word, compassion. These passages together build up a picture of this, of this strong emotion that often overtook Jesus when he saw people in desperate need. They never frustrated or annoyed him, but they broke his heart and stirred in him a deep sense of empathy and a determination to help them and to make things right. And that leads us now into our text for today from Matthew chapter 9. And what we saw, first of all, when we read those verses earlier, were, was more examples of Jesus demonstrating his compassion in action. In verse, verses 27 to 31, another pair of blind men came to him and Jesus recognised their faith and he restored their sight. And then in verses 32 to 34, there was that man who was mute and demon-possessed. And again, Jesus had pity on him, driving out that demon and restoring his speech. But then we reach our key text for today. For verses 35 and 36 say this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. These words are describing what must have been a significant period of Jesus' ministry, going through dozens and dozens of places, confronted by thousands and thousands of people. We can only presume that, that after doing this, that he was suffering physical fatigue and emotional burnout, just as we would if we were in his shoes. For how much misery, how many demanding people can one man bear? But whenever he saw another crowd, and another crowd, and another, he had compassion on them. And there we have that amazing word again. Every time he was confronted by human need, his fundamental heartfelt response was never indifference, but it was always sympathy, mercy and concern. In his book, When Jesus Confronts the World, Don Carson describes how he first came to understand this very concept. It was when he was a young pastor, struggling in, in a discouraging ministry. 
And one evening he says that his supervisor, Ken, invited him to go for a swim in a lake some distance away. And Don Carson, he, he said he really looked forward to it because he just needed a break. And the lake was always such a, a beautiful, clean and quiet getaway. But, but when they arrived, he was horrified because that place had been taken over by teenagers celebrating their graduation, something like schoolies week. And so their behaviour was noisy and drunken and lewd. And then Carson writes these words. He says, deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party, I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. I turned to Ken to unload the venom, but stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And then he said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. In one sense, he had seen and heard exactly what I did. In another sense, we had not seen and heard the same things at all. The difference was not in the objective reality, but in his compassion. I had much to learn. And my friends, don't we all? So why did Jesus have this kind of compassion on the crowds? It says it's because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Even though they were morally responsible, Jesus was looking deeper. And the biggest problem was that these people, well, they were supposed to be led and taught and protected by their religious leaders, like the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. But these men had neglected their calling and abused their authority. They had led the people astray and they had left them languishing far, far away from the Lord. And so Jesus took pity on them. And how did he respond? Well, first, he responded as we've seen him do so in all those other passages, healing every disease and sickness. These people brought their blind and deaf and and the mute and the lame and the lepers and the demon-possessed, and Jesus cared for each and every one, healing their physical ailments. But my friends, we need to understand this morning that he did so primarily to point to something far deeper. For what good, I ask you, would it do? What good would it do to be healed of sickness if you're still in your sin, still cut off from God, still far away from the kingdom. And so Jesus was healing as evidence for an even greater miracle, the miracle of salvation. For we're told that at this same time he was going around teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And here we find the, the very nucleus of Jesus' heart, for the very reason why he came into this world, my friends, was to fulfil God's plan of redemption, to reverse the effects of the fall, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. But to act on his compassion for us would come at a very high cost. 
for it required of him to give of his own life, to suffer agony and humiliation at the hands of wicked men and to suffer the unimaginable wrath of his God. That, my friends, is the amazing scope of his love, that he not only cares about our spiritual predicament, about our guilt and the condemnation that it deserves, but but that he was willing of his own free will to take on our sinful flesh and to give himself fully as a perfect sacrifice in our place. But now we need to ask ourselves, do we truly know Jesus' heart of compassion in our own lives? Have we truly experienced it for ourselves? I mean, for a start, I want to invite you now to pause and, to, and just to think about the troubles in your life today. Maybe you're a widow facing each day with loneliness in your heart. Are you elderly and realising that your days on this earth are now quite limited? Are you a teenager who doesn't ever seem to fit in anywhere that you go? Are you a mum, a young mum who is burdened by relentless responsibilities and expectations? Are you experiencing a lot of stress or frustration at your workplace? Are you filled with regrets about that mistake that you made all those years ago and it just keeps haunting you? Are you tired of all the arguments and the battles at home? Are you sick of people asking you if you're ever going to get married? Are you middle-aged and and realising now that it's too late to achieve the things that you'd hoped for? Or are you in that cycle of endless doctor's visits and medical tests and never knowing what the outcome will be? My friends, I don't know what's going on in your life, let alone what's going on in your heart. But this I do know, that we all face struggles. And when we do, we can either face them alone or we can turn to Jesus. But when we turn to him, we need to realise that he is never repulsed by the mess in our lives. He is never mad at our mistakes or disappointed by our failures. He's never intimidated by our fears or overwhelmed by our stresses. For he looks at us in all of our weakness with a perfect heart of compassion. Do you know that? Do you truly know that Jesus cares for you? I think there are far too many Christians who live with inner doubts and depression and turmoil and all because they just don't take Jesus at his word. But what a shame that would be. Jesus is filled with compassion for the weary and the burdened, for the harassed and the helpless, for sinners and sufferers just like us. And that compassion 
compels him, compels him to come to you and to care for you and to help you. We don't know how he'll do it. We don't know when he'll do it. But we can be assured that he will. He may send healing or he may provide unexpected peace. He may solve that problem or he may give you the strength to cope. He may fill that void in your life. He may smooth over that broken relationship. He may get you through that, those exams or give you renewed purpose or let you experience freedom from that issue that has been crippling you for so, so long. But my friends, even if for somehow you did not have any struggles today, that doesn't change the fact that you, just like me, are a sinner deserving of hell. But yet it's exactly as we realise this terrible truth that, that we discover the ultimate expression of our Lord's compassion for the very reason why he was born all those years ago, the very reason why he lived here on this earth among us was because he had come to fill our deepest need and to solve our greatest problem. For he looked upon our desperation and he was compelled to go to the cross. And when he did, he, he took with him all of our sins and, and all of our transgressions and all of our crimes and all of our failures and he dealt with them once and for all. You know, I think sometimes as Christians we can still act as though Jesus doesn't truly love us or that his love is somehow limited or conditional, or that we still have to reach some unattainable standard before he will truly accept us. My friends, I think sometimes as Christians, we can act as though the gospel is too good to be true. But it's exactly then that we need to truly focus on the heart of Christ He's most certainly the one who's angry at sin, the unrepented sin of those who reject him. But how much greater is his compassion for all who come to him in humble faith? And so I want to urge you today to allow his compassion to wash over you like a wave at the seashore. I want to urge you to, to feel and to experience Jesus' deep heart of love, his love for you. Yes, for you. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, The very same Christ who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers puts his arms around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. In other words, Christ's heart is not far off despite his presence now in heaven, for he does all of this. He does all of this by his own 
Holy Spirit. But finally, I also want to urge you to let the compassion of Christ motivate you. In the last verses of our text, after expressing his feelings for the crowds, Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And then he urges them to pray that the Lord would send workers out and then he sends them out. My friends, if we have truly experienced the Lord's compassion firsthand, then may that overflow in our attitude toward others. Let's open our eyes to this world around us, to the weary and the burdened, the harassed and the helpless, to all who so desperately need the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, and let us show his compassion through us. Amen. Let's pray. Our precious Lord Jesus, you have shown us that evil infuriates you and that you'll surely deal with it. But you've also shown us that for all who come to you in humble repentance and sincere faith, that your heart is just overflowing with love and forgiveness and sympathy and kindness and grace and mercy. You've shown us that your heart is full of compassion for sinners and sufferers just like us. You have compassion for the, for the struggles that we face in our lives every day and compassion for that eternal fate that we rightly deserve. And you've told us that that is why you even shed your own blood to save us. Lord Jesus, we pray, please help us to know and to feel and to experience your compassion for us today, perhaps even for the very first time. May it comfort us, may it assure us, and may it motivate us to share your love in our life. Amen.